Well, this morning we continue with our series on the Ten Commandments. If you have your Bibles or an electronic device, join me over in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. I said last week, as we go through this series on the Ten Commandments, that each and every week we are going to say those commandments together. And so the Ten Commandments stated, that was one of our points last week about the Ten Commandments, and now you'll see them as they come up on the screen. I'd like for everybody to stand and let's read the Ten Commandments together as a church. Do not worship any other gods. Do not make idols. Do not misuse the name of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false witness. Do not covet. You may be seated and may God bless his word, his commandments that he has given to us. This week as I was studying, I came across this quote on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is an idiotic fossil from a primitive culture with completely different values than any modern secular society. Well, there's one thing I agree with in that statement, and that is that the Ten Commandments differ from any modern secular society. I mean, actually, as I was doing this research, we have those out there that feel the Ten Commandments of God need to be changed. They need to be improved upon. They need to be made into commandments that are culturally relevant. So I want to share with you the things that they are suggesting that should replace the Ten Commandments. Number one, take care of the rest of creation. Two, do as you would be done to. Three, keep it simple. Just be kind. Four, honor thy father and mother where anyone can see you. But once you leave home, live your own life. Don't let them lead you around by the nose. Five, thou shalt not get caught committing adultery. And that means don't get pregnant and don't catch a social disease. Six, promises must be kept, especially ones made to children. Seven, strive to uphold the humane treatment of animals. Eight, Do not poison or despoil the environment. Nine, don't get hung up on petty rules. And ten, thou shalt not talk to strangers about your belief in a God. Now, if there is anything that is an idiotic list, it's what I just read. (laughs) Though there are some elements in there, some of them might be okay. But isn't it strange that man in his infinite wisdom knows more than the infinite God who knows all things, and that people in our culture and society have such a high opinion of themselves that they feel that their rules, 
their regulations would be better than what Almighty God has said. The Ten Commandments are thus says the Lord. And we, as a church, for one, will be committed to the Word of God in spite of what our society and our culture may tell us or say to us. We are going to see as we look at the second commandment this morning that in those suggested commandments they are doing exactly what God prohibited and that they are suggesting things that run totally counter to that second commandment. As we look at commandment number two, we're going to see that commandment one and two actually go hand in hand with one another. They are both about honoring and worshiping God. In the first commandment, we are given restrictions pertaining the object of our worship. We're to have no other God before him. So we talked about last week, the meaning is, thou shalt have no other God in his face. No one comes face to face with God the Father. And this morning, as we look at the second commandment, we're going to see restrictions that regard to the way that we worship. Number one, who we worship. Number two, the way that we worship him. So follow along as I read from Exodus chapter 20, Verses 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So as we look at command number two, God is telling us, you shall not make an idol. Now, as we think about that term idol, uh, we've talked about that anything that we would put before God becomes an idol in our lives. But for the Israelites and for people in various parts of the world uh, today, there is always the temptation to have an image to have something visual in order to worship. And God says you're not to have an idol, an image. It's not to be, and an image can be something that's carved out of wood. It can be something that's chiseled out of stone. Or it could be something that's poured into a mold. That you make that and then you declare that to be a God. Now, in ancient Israel, there was always a great temptation to the Israelites because of the nations around them and because of the many gods that they had and because of the many images that they had. 
uh, surrounding the Israelites in their land is going to be the worship of the god named Baal. Now, Baal was the god of weather, and he was also the god of financial success. And along with the god Baal, there was the goddess Ashtara, who her worship was the worship of sex and romance and reproduction. And what we find even yet today is that though we may not have images that relate to those things, those actual things, those sins, still remain an attraction to people. Whether that attraction is to money, whether that attraction is to sex, it's to throw off any limits and to worship something other than the true God. Now, you are not to make any images. Israel struggled with that. Matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 20, we've just read the Ten Commandments. Moses will go up on the mountain, and on the mountain, there God is going to reveal to him laws that relate to all kinds of areas of Israel's existence. Well, Moses was up there for 40 days, and the children of Israel, the people of Israel, started wondering, what happened to Moses? Is he ever coming back? We don't know what occurred to him. So they went to Aaron, who was the number two leader of Israel, and they said, we want you to make us gods that we can worship. And at first, Aaron resisted, but the people pressured him. And so Aaron had them all take their gold earrings and the gold that they had, and he melted it all together, and he fashioned it into a golden calf. And he set it before the people. Now, notice something very carefully here. He didn't say, this is a different God. He said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. You know, often people, when we read through that story, we think, well, the, the people are saying they're going to worship gods other than Yahweh. That's not the case here. What they were doing is they're saying, make us an image of Yahweh, the God who brought us out of Egypt, and we will worship it. Well, of course, Moses is up on the mountain, and God is not pleased with what has occurred. And so Moses comes down. Yeah, you'll remember in his wrath, he throws and breaks the Ten Commandments. Uh, you'll, God punishes the children of Israel for what they are doing. And Aaron had the lamest excuse at all. When Moses confronted him and said, why did you do this? And why did you fashion this golden calf? He says, well, you know, I just took everything they gave me, I threw it into the fire, pulled it out, and it was a golden calf. <laughs> Sounds like some of the lame excuses my kids gave me in the past over some of their behavior. But he's fashioned another God. And God says, you're not to do that. 
You're not to do that. In John chapter 4, verse 24, we're told God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. How do you make an image of a spirit? You don't. Years ago in Cokesville, Pennsylvania, there was a mine disaster that occurred there. And there was a young reporter who was starting his, his career, and he sent his story to his editor. And the editor, as he listened to him, heard these words, Cokesville, Pennsylvania, tonight God sits in the hills around Cokesville. The editor didn't read any more. He sent back to the reporter an issue. Forget that story. Interview God and get a picture while you're at it. You know, we want a God with an image of something we can see. But God is a spirit. And he must be worshipped in spirit and truth. In Isaiah chapter 42 in verse 8, God says this. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. The Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 1, where he is laying out his argument that the entire world stands guilty before God, and that the entire world is without excuse. Listen to what he wrote. For although they knew God, he's speaking about mankind now, that we knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God, notice what he says here, for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The very things that God said not to do. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Do you see exactly what they've done? They did exactly what God told them not to do. The commandment is clear. Thou shalt not make an idol. You shall not have an image. Not only are you not to have an image, you're not to worship an idol. Not to worship. You'll have no idols. You're not to worship an idol. See, God, because he's God, has the right to tell us how he should be worshipped. Wouldn't you agree with that? That God has the right to tell us the way that he wants to be worshipped and what we can and what we cannot do. 
And he's very serious about this. You know, throughout Scripture, we see instances where individuals did not take God exactly at his word or where they've come up where they would begin to worship images. For example, in Leviticus 10, we have the story of Nadab and Abihu. They were two priests, and God had ordained that the fire that was used for sacrifice was a special fire, and it was only to come from a certain place. Well, they decided to go out and get some other fire. What difference it make? It's still fire. We can use it in our worship of God. But God struck the two of them dead because they didn't obey what God had told them. In 1 Samuel 6, we have the story of King David who wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was for the purpose it represented in the tabernacle and later in the temple, the presence of God. So it is a box, and over it, there are cherubim that sit on the top of the box. And David wanted to bring that into Jerusalem. So he gave orders for them to bring the ark into the city of Jerusalem. And so they took the ark, they put it on a cart, and they put oxen, and they had the oxen pull the cart into the city. And as they were approaching the city, the ox stumbled, and the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall off of the cart. And Uzzah reached up to steady the ark to keep it from falling. And God struck him dead. Oh, David was really upset with God over that. It took him months to get over it. You say, well, what was the problem? Why would God do that? God had given specific instructions as to how the ark was to be moved. It was to be carried on poles by men, not to be placed on the ark. And you say, well, what difference does it make? It makes a difference to God. And because God is God, he can set the rules as to how he is to be worshipped. And later, the ark was finally brought to the city of Jerusalem. But that time, David did it the way God commanded. And it was a day of great celebration. You know, when Israel was traveling from Egypt to the promised land, they had sinned against the Lord, and as a result of their sin to the Lord, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And these fiery serpents, as they would bite the people, people were dying from it. And the people, you know, underneath the discipline that God was giving started praying to God and saying to Moses, pray to God, you know, that this may be ended. And God told Moses to make a serpent, put it on the pole, and put it in the center of the camp. And he promised that all who looked at the serpent would live. That was a prefigure of Christ. We're told in the Gospel of John, 
Jesus said that if he were lifted up, he would draw all men unto himself. And he said that even as the serpent was lifted up. You look and you live. But you know, years later in Israel's history, this serpent that had been saved, the people started worshiping it. They worshiped it as a god. And King Hezekiah had that serpent totally destroyed. You shall have no idols. You shall not worship idols. And some will say today, well, we don't have that temptation today. Oh, I think that we do. I think that we do. When people bow down and pray to pictures or images, be that a picture or image of Mary or one of the saints or of angels or of anything, you may claim, oh, I'm not worshiping it. But if I'm bowing down and praying before it, what am I doing? You're worshiping that. And God forbids that. You know, if you in your prayer life feel that you just have to have a, a picture of Jesus in front of you in order to worship and in order to pray and you just think, oh, that helps me pray better if I'm looking at an image in front of me, that is exactly what God has forbidden us to do. God is a what? Spirit. And when we worship him, we worship him in spirit and in truth. So we're not to make an idol. We're not to worship an idol. And we are not to serve an idol. Now, we've talked about the images, but when it talks about serving an idol, I think it goes in conjunction with the first command of not having anything before God. And I doubt that many of us here have a problem that we wrestle with of having an image before us. Some may, but the majority of us don't wrestle with that. But do we wrestle with serving something other than the true God, whatever that may be. Because whether we have an image of it or not, we are then worshiping someone and we are violating the first command of worshiping something other than the true God. Now, as we read in the passage this morning in verse 5, there are consequences for disobedience. When you disobey God, there are consequences for doing that. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, had committed that they were going to obey God. In Exodus chapter 19, in verses 7 and 8, it tells us this. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And then we mentioned Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days. And in Exodus 32, 8, we read this. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And there are consequences to disobedience to the Lord. You know, Moses will end up taking that golden calf and he will have it ground up and he will have it thrown into the water and make the people to drink of it. I'm sure that tasted good. Consequences for the disobedience. And notice what the passage says to us. It says in verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God will share his glory with no one. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What did that just say? He will visit the iniquity of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation. Some of you are thinking, how is that fair? How is that fair, what God is saying there? Well, we have to balance this out with what is also said in Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. Deuteronomy 24, 16, God says, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. So we're all responsible for our own sin. Then what does it mean that this is passed on to the third or the fourth generation? I think we find the explanation of it in this. In Psalm 106, verse 6, we read this. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. There's consequences for the disobedience. Now, we see through Scripture, and we see also in our lives, that the way a person lives affects his children and his grandchildren, and even down to his great-grandchildren. There is an effect that takes place because they tend to follow in the steps of their father. We see that in the Bible. Isaac fell into the same sin of Abraham. Remember, Abraham went to, to Egypt and he lied about Sarah and said that Sarah's not my wife. Well, then his son Isaiah, I'm sorry, not Isaiah, his son Isaac, when he got in a pinch in a place, he lied about his wife, Rebecca, and said, she's my sister. So the sin has gone from one generation to the next generation. King Ahaziah sinned in the way of his father, King Ahab. King Abijam 
sinned in the way of his father, King Rehoboam. And study after study that we can do, not only in the Scripture, but in life, we will find that people are very susceptible to falling into the sins and the sinful addictions and the behaviors that their parents have committed. And God says this iniquity gets visited down three to four generations. But each person, each person is still responsible for their own sin. Now, that's the consequences. But look at the beautiful promise that is given. Look at that promise in verse 6. But, because we'll look at verse 5 and say, how can God allow that to happen? That's not very fair of God. Look at verse 6. But showing steadfast love to thousands... And if you look, there's a a note there, if you're reading in the ESV, that says that could or should read thousands of generations. But showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Just as there are consequences for disobeying God, there are blessings for obeying him. And I am so thankful that the blessings of God, do you see it? To disobey him brings consequences to three or four generations. To obey him brings to how many generations? Thousands of generations. Some of us are here today because in our past, distant relatives honored and served God, and that has been passed down to us. And God blesses. Oh, can't you see how much greater the blessing is than the curse? How much greater the blessing is than the consequences? God blesses those who honor him and who serve him. And that's why we need to obey this command. We need to, number one, have no gods before him. And number two, make no images whatsoever in the likeness of things above, in the likeness of things on the earth, in the likeness of things in the sea. We are to have no images in our worship of God. So let's be careful that we are honoring God and let's be careful that we put nothing before him. And let's make sure that as the commandments show us that we are sinners that fall short of God's glory, that if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we come to him. For through him, we are saved. The law, keeping of the law, can't save us. But the law points us to the one who did keep the law in every point. The Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to make a way of salvation for us.
Let's make sure we are following him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, we want to honor you and serve you and help us, Lord, that we will put nothing before you, nothing in your face, and help us that we'll put nothing before you, but we will be wholly committed to follow you. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.